Psalms. We have been in the book of Psalms over the last several weeks. We've started a new study that we're calling Survival Guide for Your Soul. And we're looking to the book of Psalms, specifically the Psalms of Ascent, these Psalms that the children of Israel would sing as they journeyed to Jerusalem. And we're looking about how, uh, we're learning about how we can be healthy not only on the outside, but also on the inside to have a healthy soul. And I'm looking forward to diving into God's Word today. I'm also excited. One more announcement that I wanted to make is that next Sunday, uh, we're kicking off a new cycle of Growth Track. And uh, how many of you have ever been to Growth Track at Rock Hill before? Can I see your hands? Okay. If you've never been to Growth Track, this is an opportunity just to hear a little bit more about what we believe as a church and how you can get plugged in, how you can be involved. And I'm looking forward to Growth Track step number one next week. And it's in between services. It's about a 15 to 20 minute class. And uh, it's just a great time in a smaller environment to ask some questions and to learn a little bit more about the church. And so if you're interested in going in, uh, going to Growth Track, you can go to the hub today, the orange tent, and sign up for that. We'd love to have you at the hub next Sunday. Psalm chapter 128 is where we're going to be today. If you're ready to dive into God's word, would you say amen? If you don't have a Bible today, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And most of the verses will be on the screen as well today. But I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open and ready as we look to Psalm 128. The Bible says this in Psalm 128, verse number one. Blessed. Everybody say blessed. How many of you are interested in blessings that come from above? Anybody like that? Blessed is everyone that fears the Lord, that walks in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house, thy children like an olive plant round about thy table. Behold, that thou shalt, that thus shall the man be blessed that fears the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. For a few minutes today, I want to speak to this subject, nail houses, nail houses. Let's have a word of prayer together today. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this opportunity to come together and to worship you. Lord, thank you for the songs that we sang today that remind us about how powerful your name is. God, I pray that as we navigate through our lives and consider everything that is taking place around us, that we would recognize that there is one name that every knee will bow to, and that is your name. And Lord, I pray that as we look to your word today, that we would uh, find encouragement. God, I, find, I pray that we would find uh, exhortation, that we'd be challenged. I pray that we would be uh, inspired to uh, live a life that is pleasing and glorifying to you, and that we could seek to have a soul that is healthy. And that uh, we love you in Jesus' name, and everybody said today. My wife, Katie, has an idea for a reality TV show. And if you know Katie, she's always got ideas for shows and different things. And, and uh, the idea for this particular show is that she wants to have a show called Who in the World Lives There? And uh, how many of you have ever been driving perhaps on a road trip out in the middle of nowhere and you saw a house and you just thought, who in the world lives there? 
that would be the show. You would go and knock on the door and find out uh, who lives there and finds out their story. And that's the show, Who in the World Lives There? I was reading an article recently on homes in China, very interesting homes. And uh, as they are building many new skyscrapers in China and huge, massive uh, development projects, in doing so, they're also tearing down uh, neighborhoods and demolishing neighborhoods in China to build these new massive structures. But there are certain homes and certain homeowners that refuse to sell their homes. And even when they are offered large sums of money, they are refusing to sell their homes. And so often, I think we have some pictures today, you'll find a house just kind of in the middle of an empty lot or an empty parking lot or in the middle of a road. There's these homes that are just uh, these homeowners refusing to sell. And what they call these homes in China is nail houses. And the reason they call these homes nail houses is because uh, they resemble a, a, a protruding nail that refuses to be hammered down. And so when all of these things are being uh, built and constructed around them, these homes are refusing to sell. These homeowners are refusing to sell their homes, and hence they have this name, nail houses. And I thought about that, and as we consider the spiritual landscape of our society today, and we consider the spiritual landscape of the home What we have to recognize today is that many homes and families and marriages are being demolished and destroyed all around us. And marriages are being demolished and children are being neglected and and fathers are often absent. And we have to recognize that the home is being demolished around us. And I did not say that today to be discouraging. I say that today because I believe there ought to be some spiritual nail houses that decide to stand up for the truth of the gospel. And even when everything else is collapsing around us, we are going to stand up and stand out for the cause of Jesus Christ. We're going to refuse to bow down to the ever-changing current of culture. We're going to refuse to give in to the uh, philosophies and ideologies of the world. We're going to refer back to the pages of Scripture. And the Bible talks often about having a strong foundation uh, when it comes to the home, when it comes to the family. We come to Psalm chapter 127, Psalm chapter 128 today. These two Psalms, right in the middle of the Psalms of Ascent, uh, talk about what it looks like to have a spiritual nail house, uh, to have a house that refuses to give in to uh, the culture. In fact, the Bible starts in Psalm 127, right? If you have your Bible open, you'll be able to see it. Psalm 127 verse number one, it says this, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Can I tell you that when it comes to the construction of your home, there is only one architect. There is only one true builder. There is only one true designer, and that is God himself. And what happens today is when we have questions, when we have questions about marriage, when we have questions about gender, when we have questions about sexual identity, what we don't do is look to the world for answers. What we do is look to the original designer, the architect. We go back to the blueprints found in God's word. And so today we have to recognize that uh, the Lord will build the house, and we have to go to his word to find those instructions. Often we're trying to build up and to construct a spiritual house, but what we're doing is we're looking to our own carnal, fleshly blueprints, how we want to do things. Well, the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 4, for every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God, that he is the ultimate builder, that he is the ultimate designer. Uh, I read recently an interesting story about the first man to climb uh, Mount Everest with no oxygen. And uh, the first man to climb Mount Everest with no oxygen later on fell off a wall in his own home because he accidentally locked himself out. And the irony is he conquered every mountain in the world, but he fell in his own home. Today, I don't want to have the kind of success, the kind of faith that comes at the expense of my wife or my children. 
I don't want to conquer every mountain and be successful in the eyes of the world, but fail in my own home. And today we have to go back to the design, back to the original blueprints to see what it looks like to build a strong foundation for the home. D.L. Moody said this, I believe the family was established long before the church. And my duty is to my family first. I am not to neglect my family. And so today as we look to Psalm 128, I want us to see some principles that I think can help us establish homes that would be a spiritual nail house, that we're going to stand up for the truth of God's word. And so today as we look to Psalm 128, I want to give a couple of things for us to jot down today. Number one is this, a healthy home must have a proper view of God. A healthy home has to have a proper view of God. Everybody with me this morning? It's been said that what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. How do, how do you view God? Is God mean and angry? Is God distant? Is God just some sort of cosmic butler that's there to just kind of make you feel better about yourself? How do you view God? Is he a genie in the bottle? How do you view who God is? Now, we're going to see in Psalm number one, or in verse number one of this, Psalm 128, how we are to view who God is. Let's pick it up in verse number one. It says this, blessed. The Hebrew word there for blessed is Asherah. It, it describes someone that is fulfilled or happy. Interestingly, that Hebrew word is in the plural sense. So you could literally read it, blessed, blessed, happy, happy. It carries the idea of a multiplicity of blessings, that, that it's not just one blessing. It's, it's going to carry on, that God wants you to be blessed, blessed. He wants you to be happy, happy. He wants you to experience real, true joy. Well, how do we find this kind of blessing? Well, let's keep on reading. It starts with our attitude. Notice it in verse number one. Blessed is everyone that fears the Lord. Now, the Bible is not necessarily interested in whether you believe in God or not, because the Bible generally assumes that most people will believe in God. Uh, the Bible says that the devils also believe and they tremble. The Bible is, however, very interested in your response to God and, and how you respond to who God is. And here we see that we are instructed to fear the Lord, to fear the Lord. Now, this is an instruction that's given all throughout Scripture. In fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, it says this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Everybody say, fear God. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Solomon really just kind of sums it up for us. He says, you want to know the whole duty of man, what this is really all about? Fear the Lord, fear God, and keep his commandments. Now, uh, to fear the Lord means that we uh, give him the honor and the reverence that he deserves. Uh, to fear the Lord does not mean that we are afraid of God, okay? If you are a child of God today, I have good news for you. If you're a child of God, you do not have to be scared of God. The Bible says that we can boldly approach the throne of grace. Anybody thankful for that? Uh, we can go to God anytime that we want. Uh, the Bible says that we can approach him as a loving father. We can call him Abba, Father. Uh, we can approach God anytime we want. We don't have to be scared of God. But just because we can approach God freely does not mean that we can approach him flippantly. That there must be an honor and a reverence when it comes to our view of God. And, and so this is what the psalmist is saying, that we fear God. Now, the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God, watch this, acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. 
Our God's a consuming fire. How many, of you have, how many of you have ever seen an ad on Instagram trying to get you to buy something and you were tempted to buy that thing on Instagram? Anybody like that? How many of you have ever actually made a purchase on Instagram? Uh, my Instagram ads know me well. It's always something that I never knew that I needed until I saw it. And now, man, I need this. And the only thing that I've ever purchased on Instagram, ever, my one purchase, are you interested in it? Is this. Does anybody know what this is today? This is an awesome fire pit, okay? Uh, I saw this on Instagram, and I had the self-discipline to say, I don't need that. But then it came up the next day, and I thought, man, I don't think I need that. And then it came up the next, and then I eventually bought it. So now I have this, this fire pit, and uh, it's pretty cool how it works. It's not funny, Ricky. This is amazing. And uh, you can light this. Now give it a second, and we'll, we'll hopefully see some flames here in a second. Hopefully we'll see some flames here in a second. Uh, you just have to have faith that this is going to work, right? Okay. Can you see the flames a little bit? It's starting to come, right? And so uh, we see uh, these flames on here. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews that our God is a consuming fire. Now, you know what's interesting about a fire? A fire, even if it's very little like this, a fire is both inviting and terrifying at the same time. A fire is inviting. You can roast marshmallows on this little thing, which we have in our household many times right here. And uh, it's inviting. It's warm. It wants to draw you in. You gather around a fire. A fire is inviting. But a fire, if you're too close or if it's out of control, a fire can be very terrifying. And this is what the author of Hebrews is saying, is that our God is a consuming fire, that that God is loving and warm and kind, and he wants to draw us in, and God wants to provide for us and offer us his grace and his loving kindness and bring us close. But also, don't ever forget that our God is holy, just, and righteous, and our God hates sin. And the reason he hates sin is because sin is what keeps us from him. And so our God is a consuming fire. He is both inviting and terrifying. And we have to understand today that the psalmist is saying, in your home today, in your house, there ought to be a godly, reverential fear for the God that you worship. That in our homes, we take the things of God very seriously. That we don't just have a cavalier, nonchalant, flippant, flippant approach to God. Uh, no, we have a godly, reverential fear. And uh, thanks, Daniel. You can take away this fire. Let's, let's watch how Daniel will snuff out this fire. The tribe has spoken. There you go. Okay. The Bible says this in Psalm 2, verse number 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Is that not a juxtaposition? Rejoice with trembling. How do you do that? We sang about it all this morning. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We're going to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice, but rejoice with trembling. This is the approach that we have towards God, that we fear him, that we recognize that God is holy, just, and righteous. And so the psalmist is talking about uh, our attitude. But then he goes on, he talks about our actions. Everybody still with me? Because our attitude uh, should always have an impact on our actions, right? Let's keep reading verse number one. Blessed is everyone that fears the Lord, that walks in his ways. Do you, do you see how the attitude now affects the actions? Now we're going to walk in his ways. See, when you have a godly uh, reverence, when you have a reverence for God, there will always be an obedience to God. And many times there's not obedience to God because there's not a reverence for God. Uh, because we don't uh, honor his word and we don't have a holy reverence for uh, his word. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this uh, when it comes to our homes and making sure that we are walking in his ways and having uh, godly obedience. He said, train up a child in the way that he should go, but make sure you go that way yourself. So in other words, parents, we can't just talk the talk. We have to walk the walk. 
hey, it's good for your kids to see you singing loud in church. It's good for your children to see you being excited to go to church. And it's good for your children to see you opening up God's word and reading God's word and and prioritizing the things of God. It's not enough just to have the right attitudes. Our attitudes should then lead to actions and we should walk in his ways. And this is what the psalmist is saying. So not only our attitudes and our actions, but I want you to see also he talks about our accomplishments. Okay, let's, let's look at it in verse number two. He says, for thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. So he's here talking about uh, the, uh, the labor that we do, the work that we do. He's talking about our accomplishments, our, our, our nine to five, so to speak. He says, uh, for, for thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Now, this is a very encouraging verse. It speaks to our finances. How many of you over the last couple of years have been stressed at one point or another over your finances? Anybody like that? Right, that $600 stimulus check is long gone, right? Like that is a distant memory of the past, right? And we can be overwhelmed at times with the state of our income, our finances. The Bible says this in Haggai chapter number one, in verse number six. It says this, you have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he, watch this, and he that earns wages earneth wages to put in a bag with holes. <laughs> Doesn't that, that sound relatable? Like I'm, I'm depositing my paycheck into the bank, but I'm just wondering where is all that money going? It's like I'm putting my money into a bag with holes in it. Some of you are like, that's my new life verse right there. Like I can relate to that. I'm putting my money. I don't know where it goes. But the psalmist is saying this in verse number two. When you have the proper view of God, when you have a holy reverence for God, and when you are responding in obedience and walking in his ways, let's read it again, verse number two. For thou shalt, it's a promise, eat the labor of thine hands. God says, I will provide for you. I will protect your income. I will safeguard your savings. God's saying this, hey, you can trust me. You can trust me even with your finances. I promise you that if you are walking according to my ways, that I will meet your needs. Does anybody still believe today that the Bible says, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Hey, the last time I checked, the Bible still says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that our God owns it all, and he is faithful to provide every step of the way. And so the psalmist here is saying in verse number two, that God will protect your income, that he will provide for you in a time of need. This is is why we can trust God with the tithe. This is why as the people of God that we can faithfully uh, give to the Lord. Uh, my son Luke right now in the summer, he's, he has his own lemonade stand. He's trying to earn some money this summer. And so he has a lemonade stand, Luke's ice cold lemonade. And uh, you can go and get some lemonade from Luke. And I'm trying to teach him with all, all the dollars that he's bringing in, uh, the principle of the tithe. And Luke will have $10. And I'll say, okay, Luke, you've got $10. And we're going to give 10% back to God. He owns it all. But we're going to be faithful and uh, uh, giving back to him. So, Luke, we're going to give him $1. And uh, Luke is learning this process and this, this principle of the tithe. Adrian Rogers said this, God doesn't need us to give him our money. Do you believe that today? He doesn't need us to give him our money. He owns everything. Tithing is God's way to grow Christians. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so here we see in the Psalms that, 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 that God is faithful to provide. Psalm 37 verse number 25 says this, I have been young and am now old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. God will provide. And this is something that we can find great encouragement in. And so number one today, a healthy home has to have a proper view of God. We fear the Lord. We, we approach him uh, with reverence, uh, a proper view of God. Here's the second principle today, number two. A healthy home is about progress not perfection. 
A healthy home is about progress, not perfection. Uh, sometimes uh, investing into your marriage or raising uh, children, uh, you can be discouraged in that endeavor. You can think, man, I'm not doing good. I'm a failure. Uh, the other day, uh, I got into my car. I like to keep a very clean car as much as I can. I'm constantly going to the car wash and vacuuming it out. I want to keep it clean. And uh, that is not possible when you have three children under 10 years old, right? And uh, the other day, I walked into my car, and I looked in, I looked in the back seat, and there was Cheerios everywhere. There was half-eaten oranges and juice boxes spilled everywhere and I just thought I failed as a father like this is this is a low moment for me and uh, sometimes uh, sometimes we can uh, have a desire to raise up children in the way that they should go we have a desire to have a healthy marriage but sometimes we can feel inadequate and insufficient how many of you have ever felt that way in your own home where you feel like, man I just don't know if I'm doing what God wants me to do the Bible says this in 2nd Corinthians 12 9 and he said unto me my grace is sufficient for thee his grace is sufficient today. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'm thankful today that God's grace is sufficient in my marriage, in my parenting, in my relationships, that God's grace is readily available to fill those spaces of weakness in my life. Now, the psalmist is going to give us a snapshot of a home that's not perfect, but a home that's progressing. And in two specific areas. Uh, first, uh, when it comes to a godly spouse. Everybody still track with me so far? Let's keep on looking to the psalm. Look at verse number three. He says, thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. And so here we see that the wife, a godly spouse, is pictured as a fruitful vine. Now, uh, for the Hebrews, the vine was a picture of really two things. First, it was a picture of fertility, that, uh, that she was going to be uh, fruitful and bear children. In Hebrew culture, children were viewed as not a burden, but a blessing. In fact, in Psalm 127, the chapter right before, if you have your Bible open, you can see it. In verse number three, it says this, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. In other words, can I just remind you today that children are a blessing and not a burden. And this is why when we consider even the decision from the Supreme Court this week that as followers of Jesus, we should humbly celebrate and rejoice over the lives that will be saved as a result of this decision. We also recognize that now more than ever, we need to uh, provide and care for women and children and be the hands and feet of Jesus to the culture that is hurting and into a culture that is broken. Uh, but today we have to recognize that children are an heritage of the Lord. Uh, that, that he says children are a blessing, they're not a burden. And so he says a godly spouse is going to be like a fruitful vine. There's going to be fertility. But, but it's more than just fertility. It goes on to productivity. Because the main purpose of a vine is to bear fruit, to be a refreshment and nourishment for other people. It reminds me of the Proverbs 31 woman. It says this in Proverbs 31, verse 15. She rises also while it is yet night. And gives meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She girds her loins uh, with strength. That carries the idea of preparation um, and, and strengtheneth her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. In other words, uh, this, this godly spouse is industrious. She works hard. She's, she's demonstrating wisdom and foresight. This is the strength of a godly wife. But then the psalmist goes on. He talks about the godly wife as a fruitful vine. But then he goes on to children. Notice in verse number three. He says, thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Now, more than ever, we have to recognize that the enemy has a target on the backs of our children. Do you recognize that today as you look out and see what's happening in our culture? I mean, the depravity of man has been on full display over the last month or so. When we've come to the point in our country, in our nation, when parents can bring 
children to a drag strip show where there is going to be sexual dancing and sometimes nudity. And, and not only is it tolerated, now that's celebrated for children, we've missed the mark somewhere. And today we have to recognize that, that children are being influenced, that children are under attack, and we have to recognize what the Bible says about our responsibility to train up the next generation. And so here the psalmist says this. He says that, that, that children are like olive plants round about that table. Now, in Psalm 127 and Psalm 128, there's many pictures used and metaphors used for children. In Psalm 127, the picture is that of an arrow. And if you read Psalm 127, that children are like arrows in the hands of a mighty man, that they are aimed at a specific target, that, that God has a purpose and a plan for your children, that he wants to use them in a great and powerful way. They are like arrows uh, aimed uh, at a specific target. Here we see that children are described as little olive plants. Now, an olive plant is not an olive tree. It is not producing uh, uh, it's not bearing fruit. It's not mature. Uh, it's just an olive plant. One day, it will be able to uh, have that maturity and produce fruit, but not yet. And uh, they are still works in progress. And I think this is so important for us to recognize today because as we uh, invest into the next generation, we want them to be uh, sometimes picture perfect. We want them to do things the right way. But we have to remember that children, as little olive plants, they're still maturing. They're still developing. We need to be uh, patient with them. And uh, continually invest in them and uh, patiently develop our, our children as they are little olive plants. I was reading recently that if you were a child that lived in Judea in the first century, your formal education would begin at the age of six. And you would go into your local synagogue and the rabbis would teach you there. And one of the first things that they did uh, in their formal education was the rabbis would take the slates that the children would learn from and they would put honey all over the slates. And they would encourage the students to lick and to eat the honey as they recited uh, scripture. Uh, scriptures like Psalm 119, 103, how sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And here was the purpose. They wanted to create a positive association with the word of God. They, they wanted to say, hey, this is not a duty. This is a delight. And this tells us our responsibility as parents, as leaders, as teachers, as anyone that's investing into the next generation, that we have to tell them not just the things that they need to stay away from and not just the negative, but we need to reinforce the positive and to remind the next generation how good God is and how great God is and how God has provided for us time and time again and how loving and gracious and kind God is. And so we're not just presenting the negative, we're showing how good God is. And by the way, uh, behind every no, there is a greater yes that is yet to be seen. And so the psalmist here is talking about a godly home and a healthy home. It's not perfect, but it is progressing. And there's a godly spouse and, and godly uh, children. The Bible says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 12. Not as though I had already attained, neither were already perfect or mature, but I follow after. Paul, Paul says, I haven't arrived yet. No one comes to their, a place in their Christian life where they just feel as though, yeah, I'm arrived. I figured it all out. I have all the answers in life. No, he says, I follow after. If that I may apprehend that which for I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing that I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Continually moving forward. It's not about perfection. It's about progress. It's about the trajectory. I'm going to keep on putting one foot in front of the other and moving forward in the plan that God has for me. And so, number one, a healthy home must have a proper view of God. Number two, a healthy home is about progress, not perfection. Here's the third one. Do you have one more in you today? Here's the third principle. A healthy home will make a generational impact. A healthy home will make a generational impact. Now, let's pick it up in verse number five. 
The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Notice how the, the horizons are expanding in this psalm. Did you see it? In verse number one, it's about the individual. Every one fears the Lord. And then he talks about marriage and the spouse. And he talks about the family and children. And now he's talking about the entire city of Jerusalem. And I believe that there's a powerful principle here. And that is that if you want to change your city, if you want to change your nation, if you want to make an impact in the world today, start with the four walls of your own home. Start with your family. Start with your, ask God to bring revival in your soul. Let it spread to your family. Let it spread to your uh, community. Now we're talking about all of Jerusalem. And as we close and consider this generational impact, I want us to see two things and we'll be done this morning. First, I want us to see the longevity of it. Notice verse number five again. Everybody still with me? Verse number five. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem. Watch this phrase. All the days of thy life. This is something that God has been speaking to me about. Because in my life, I don't want to just be successful. I don't want to just be productive. I don't want to just be relevant. I want to be faithful. Anybody can lead. My goal is not just to lead. My goal is to last. We're raising a generation that, that are constantly asking, asking questions like, how can I be the best? How can I build my brand? How, how can I be the greatest? How about this question? How can I last? I don't want to have to forfeit my ministry. I don't want to have to fail on my family. Hey, hey I want to have a life that is following Jesus all the days of my life, that, that I'm going to last and, and hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The psalmist is saying, hey, if you fear God and, and if you have the right view of God, you will have a faith that lasts and, and longevity in your walk with God. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 25 says this, And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Today, if we build our lives on the foundation of God's word, when the storms come, when the culture changes, when the trials come, when the health battles come, when family struggles come, we will be able to stand strong with stability because we are building a foundation on the rock of Jesus Christ. That is where stability is found. And so longevity, he says, all the days of my life, we want to last. But then he talks about legacy. Now, notice verse number six. So not only longevity, but legacy. Verse number six, he says this. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. And so in this psalm, time flies. Uh, time goes fast. We start with the individual. We start with a married couple. They have children. And now in six verses, we have grandchildren. And so now we're looking to the next generation, your children's children, legacy. The Bible says this in Psalm 78, verse number 4. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. We cannot neglect as a church to transfer the truth to the next generation. We have to take very seriously when we talk about junior campers and teen campers. By the way, I'm so thankful that three campers got saved this week and put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. We have to take this calling very seriously to invest and to train in the next generation and to consider the legacy that we will leave behind. It's bigger than just us and here and now. We're talking about the generations to come. What kind of world will your grandchildren be a part of? What's going to happen in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? Uh, what will the world look like and will we have imparted truth to that next generation? 
He says, your children's children. Mark Batterson said this, legacy isn't measured by what we accomplish in our lifetimes. It's measured by our coaching tree, our mentoring chain. It's measured by the fruit we grow in other people's trees. It's measured by the investments we make in others that, still, that are still earning compound interest 20 years later. It's measured by every blessing we bestow. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than now. It's about our children. It's about our children's children. Warren Buffett used to say, someone is sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago. Let's plant some trees today. Let's determine to leave a godly legacy for the next generation. Hey, uh, whatever stage of life you're in today, whether you are married, whether you are married with children, whether you have grandchildren, whether you are a young adult, I, I want you to determine to have a house or to have a future household that's a nail house, that has a strong foundation. And when the culture changes, and it will, and when things seem chaotic and they will become more chaotic, that we can stand firm on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. When everything else is crumbling around us, we have some stability because we're referring back to the word of God and having that strong spiritual nail house. Now, I wanna close with one final verse in our chapter today. Verse number six, he says, Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children. And then he says this, And peace upon Israel. It's interesting how many times in the Psalms of Ascent that peace is mentioned. Many times, over and over, you can have experienced the peace of Israel. Pray for the peace of Israel. Pray for peace amongst yourselves. Time and time again, the psalmist references peace. And I want you to know today as we close, the most important peace you will ever know in your life is peace with Almighty God. It's not just peace with man. It's, it's peace with God, the one that created you. Today, I'd like us to take a look within. Do we have peace with God? Romans 5.1 says, therefore, being justified by faith, the word justified uh, is talking about our salvation, that you are declared righteous before a holy God, that you are saved, you are justified by faith, not by works. Salvation is not about what we bring to the table. By faith, we have, watch this, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus made a way when there was no way, and today you can have peace with the creator God of the universe through his son, Jesus. That's how we have ultimate peace. Back in the early 1800s, in the 1830s, there was this Supreme Court case known as the United States versus Wilson. And what happened was there was a man named George Wilson who was uh, sentenced actually to death for multiple robberies. And he was in prison for a long time and was sentenced to death. But because he had a friend with influence, they went to President Andrew Jackson and they asked if he would issue George Wilson a pardon. And so Andrew Jackson actually said yes and issued him a pardon. And the pardon was sent to George Wilson. Uh, he received this news that, that he could be set free and that he was no longer going to face the death penalty. This was great news. But George Wilson, for whatever reason, we don't know, he refused the pardon. He didn't accept it. And everyone was kind of perplexed at what are, you, what are we going to do about this? Like, here's the pardon. We have it in hand from President Andrew Jackson. We gave it to him. He didn't want it. What are we supposed to do? Nobody knew what to do with the situation. It went all the way to the Supreme Court. They said, we need to figure out what to do. And so they went to the Supreme Court. This was the decision rendered by the Supreme Court of the United States. It said this, a pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential. And delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered. And if it is rejected, we have discovered no power in this court to force it upon him. And so he says, we can't, they said, we can't force him to receive this pardon. 
Here's what I want us to know today as we're, clo- as we're closing. In this room online, that 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And today, he is offering forgiveness. He's offering a pardon. The only question is, will you accept it? Will you receive it? The only people that will die and go to a terrible place called hell are those that reject the pardon of Jesus Christ. Those that reject Jesus. And today the Bible says that we can know for sure that we have a home in heaven and a relationship with God and that peace that the psalmist is talking about if we have a relationship with the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And so today you can receive that. If you don't know for sure, if you were to die today where you'd spend all of eternity, I would encourage you, today can be the day of salvation for you. You can receive this good news of the gospel. You can know that you have a home in heaven and that you have peace with God because you accepted the pardon that is available to you.